So referring to the sense of identity as a place or something to contemplate, because that's kind of what was there all the time. One reference that's made in the suttas is to it, contemplating internally and externally. <clears throat> and so sometimes this is kind of seen as well, focusing on your own stuff, then focusing on other people's stuff, which doesn't seem very accurate as to what actually is a useful path of practice. So I've never really contemplated anybody else's breathing. I've never seen anybody do it. So it's you know internally, externally. So what is another way of looking at that? Well, we experience this in what we call internal dimension, which we tend to identify with. What's that? That's a certain um, interoceptive senses, the way the body organizes itself its movements, its um, energies, uh, its uh, internal sensations based upon health and so forth. Externally, when the body comes into contact with the floor, with the wind, with the rain, external, you contemplate how the body is affected by external phenomena. So then you're not really contemplating other people, you're contemplating what happens here because both of those give rise to a sense of identity right? so you're contemplating you know, experiencing a sense of wind or rain or sun oh, oh I'm sheltering myself from that or oh well, lovely I can open up to that so that changes your identity package doesn't it you get through a winter time I don't know what it's like to get through a winter time but I certainly know what happens when spring comes you know, and suddenly, oh, there's such a thing as gladness. <laughs> you know, it's a light returning. Uh, you know. So external phenomena, then one can feel happier. So the external phenomena, you can can give you some sense of who you are, how you are. So we see the body experiences itself by what we call the interoceptive sense, which is mean its own awareness of its health, vigor, vitality, um, internal discomforts, uh, tensions, relaxation, ease, rigidity, and so forth. So where that also knows how to operate, how its arms and legs move um, externally. Uh, the body contacts heat and cold, sharp and soft. And knows how to operate according to that. And any of those can give rise to a sense of an identity. Supports a sense of an identity of someone who's afflicted by cold or low energy or vitality or warm water or whatever, you know, it changes our, our set, doesn't it? I always like to be in very open, wide spaces, 
plenty of space. I wrote something he really feels gets that. I get this sense of, you know, I know people who just don't like a lot of space. They like to huddle, feel more cosy. I don't like, I don't like that. I like lots and lots of space. The only time when I felt I had enough space was in the Mojave Desert. <laughs> Everywhere else was cramped to me. <laughs> That's because my energies go like that. They've got a lot of big energy. They like plenty of room. <laughs> but whatever it is, you know, how it can fabricate an identity. Feeling tight, congested, spacious and open. Depending on what? Purely phenomena over the which one has no real control. And you notice how does that happen? Who's that? Uh, and then can you feel spacious in a crowded room? Well you can if you work at it. Uh, you can if you work at it. By switching off, not attending to the signs of congestion, don't give many attention. Attend instead to the ending of the out breath. Plenty of room there. Ending the in breath. Plenty of space there. Yeah. There's always space, so you attend to those places, and the space opens up. Mm. And so you know it's not being created by circumstances. Of course, we can be affected very profoundly mentally. You know. We read news, we read media, we feel upset or excited, mind affected by phenomena externally. Right? What do you read, what do you think? Because you're picking up news and media and what people say externally. You can get quite upset or excited by that. You take a stand on it. I'm one of these, I belong to this group, I oppose that based upon the mind being affected by phenomena externally. Mind being affected by phenomena internally. I feel guilty, I feel regret, I feel disappointment, I feel elated, I feel love, I feel aversion. So affected internally. Get an identity out of that. And then trying to match the two together. As it says, one contemplates it internally and externally together. How do I fit into this world? How do I fit into this world? You know, <laughs> where's my place in this world? No. <laughs> well, those don't match up, do they? They very rarely match up what you perceive externally, what you're experiencing internally. Occasionally you get those moments when it blends and you know, have a good time with somebody and then goes again. And so the sense how it blends is by relaxing the sense of self that occurs. <laughs> then you find the unity is there's the knowing, there's the awareness. This is an internal effect. It's not self. Uh, it doesn't have to create me. I don't have to take a stand on it. I don't have to reject it. I don't have to get 
shivery and trembly around it. I don't get excited and elated about it. It's that externally. It's phenomena turning externally. Yeah. I don't have to take a position on it. Yeah. And so that sense of relaxing the sense of identity that occurs in these these domains by knowing them. Not by whitewashing them. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one sort of tactic or something like that. That's what we would probably attempt. You know, put on a happy face, smile, cheer up, look on the bright side. You know, <laughs> I don't feel very bright all the time. <laughs> there can be knowing of that mm. you know, externally get the right answers get the right solution get the right greenwash get the right <laughs> you know it's going to set everything right you know and these are not not evil by any means, and generally, you know, you, one can bring around some changes if you're skillful. But none of that need affect a sense of I'm not this. This is just what I do because it's the action of integrity is to take responsibility and care for whatever arises internally or externally. To live with responsibility, care and concern, internally and externally. But expecting it to be smooth sailing and coming out with a final solution is a dream. You just keep exercising integrity and compassion and concern because they're beautiful. What else are you going to do? And it doesn't take you away from your heart. It doesn't take you into ideological positions. It doesn't take you into, you know, I'm not good enough. Because you don't identify with those internal mental states that are disappointing, inadequate, fearful. Uh, so it's that. So you exercise your integrity and compassion and concern internally. How is this listened to? How is this heard? How is this what causes it to rise, what causes it to pass hmm? internally in there and so it's always the same kind of practice and it can be another person of course but the basic theme of developing you know is you, you keep widening span of your conscience and concern and awareness and integrity in accordance with your capacities in accordance with what you can do in accordance with how you've developed and realize I'm not there yet I haven't got I haven't got that far yet <laughs> you know I can do this if I do this cultivate these qualities they tend to grow by themselves 
check in with your your brightness, with your awareness, with your honesty, with your clarity, with your mindfulness, with it. They grow by themselves. And you don't know how much it's gonna how big it's gonna get, how far it's gonna go. But that's the good people you don't identify with that either. <laughs> you know, it's not like everybody's gonna be a Buddha. But even the Buddha wasn't a Buddha. <laughs> it's just the conditions of this. <laughs> this is this is this is how far they go now, you know. And as the ending, it stops. The mind goes right, and it, the silence, which is modest, clear open, no suffering, no stress, no identity, no saying, oh, I, if I practiced harder, I could be. You practice harder, you practice harder, that's all. <laughs> Whatever that means. And you have an idea about what that was. Your idea about what it was might not be that correct. Yeah generally the immediate voice that tells you what you are the first one is generally a lie <laughs> or a joke <laughs> the first voice is the voice of your conditioning that's the one you uh-huh let's wait a little longer see if another bus comes along <laughs> Only misperception. <laughs> so you get these ideas. Oh, I should practice hard. I need to practice. Who's saying that? It's the voice of your feeling of inadequacy, isn't it? It's the voice of your impatience. It's the voice of your sense of not being good enough or strong enough. That you, that you should be something else. It's that voice. What do you think that voice is going to take you? It takes you to the same place. Where is the voice of your adequacy? Where is the voice of your your fullness? Follow that. That's what we call practicing hard. It's not hard. It's clear. You listen to where your strength and your clarity is and you listen to it deeply and you trust it and you breathe into it. It will grow. That's what development of practices and don't dismiss it don't give it up for some idea of what you should be like my experience over many years is that generally roughly speaking most people think they need to practice harder I listen to them I say I think you need to relax Yeah, I'm trying so hard, I really can't get it. I really can't get it. Have you tried relaxing? Relax? Yeah, relax. What's that? <laughs> uh, can you feel your feet? Feet? You know, they're just so tightened up in the upper, the body and head. They can't even feel their feet. You know, and then, so <laughs> the first voice that tells you who you are. 
is either a fool or a liar. Because <laughs> you're not. There's no. There's no word that says who you are. There's nothing that says who you are. Anything that says you are is Mara, the deceiver. So one of those comes up. You know what it is. Doesn't mean you not, don't practice, but you got to. You practice with that one. Mm-hmm. Where's that coming from? You say. Where are you coming from? Where are you coming from? This is called Yoni Somani Sikara. It means what part of the heart are you coming from? Thought. Which part of the heart are you coming from? You're coming from the wounded place? Okay, well, if you're coming from the wounded place, let's look at the wound. That's fair enough. If you're coming from the angry place, let's look at that. If you're coming from the self-critical, complaining place, that's okay. Let's look at that. Let's go into that. Let's get back to the heart. What does it need? It doesn't need law and order. It doesn't need rules. It needs compassion, steady patience, awareness, and embodiment. It needs to sit within a felt body where it feels support. This is why there is so much, in my opinion, one of the reasons, one of the causes for so much imbalance and distortion. You know, and there's probably many causes and conditions, but we'd recognize the statistically the degree of psychological disorder, um, neurosis, uh, attention disorder, addiction, depression, anxiety, and so on and so on, increasing. Mm. Number one, life inhibitor of the world, of the Western world, particularly the Western world. The rest of the world hasn't caught up with us yet. They're not trying hard enough. They'll get there. You know, so why is that? Because every trying, you know, pushing faster, harder, keep up, but fundamentally losing heart. Heart not in the body, not embodied. We're giving up our bodies for the gadget and the machine and the wheels. We give up the body because it's quicker to get on a bunch of wheels. Yeah. We give up meeting each other because it's quicker to text you. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking to her, texting, yeah, we're talking, we're meeting. No, you're not. Just your Vajji Sankaras, your verbal formations are coinciding. Doesn't mean you're meeting. You know, doesn't mean you're meeting at all. I'm up on Facebook meeting. Do you realise that I don't know what proportion somebody's telling me is really a large number of people on Facebook were actually dead. (laughs) (laughs) Just nobody took them down, so they're still up there. (laughs) That's that's how disembodied you are when your body's dead. (laughs) You're still up on Facebook. Who needs reality anyway? <laughs> right, so 
So that's that's an example of the whole movement of it to that level, and we all we all participate in that, don't we? I'm sure. You know, I get on wheels, I operate through phones and stuff like that, but also spend a good deal of time doing exactly the opposite. <laughs> you know, really, almost obsessively. <laughs> so just to counteract the, the disembodiment that occurs, We're coming back into this. You know, this is because this is where the the norm, the normative experience, can be really felt as a given, not as something that I conform to you. It's not I see what you're doing and I conform to it. No, it's not. It's not an action of conforming to something else. It's actually a feeling. I'm in. I am part of something, or there is being part of something. That comes through the body. No effort, it's a gift. We arose out of it. Mm. And when you get that, your relationship to life changes. It's not something you dominate and exploit anymore. You treasure it and care for it, respect it. It's your mother, it's your grandmother. It changes everything externally, it changes things internally. Internally, you don't expect it to be a little nicely mowed garden, it's a jungle in there, it's lovely. You know, it's not a neat little square manicured lawn, it's a kind of ever changing shape that's natural and you have to operate in there like a person who's in the wilderness I don't mean to be frightening okay person in the uncultivated land a traveller in the uncultivated land so there are no straight lines there are no set paths the only set rule is be awake be watchful, be aware and respond. This is how you practice. You practice like a person in the wilderness. You know. What's going on? How is it? Mm, something resisting there. Mm. Something waiting. Not ready yet. Can okay, we ready? Safe, steady. Where's the clarity? You know, where's the good energy? You know, checking it out. This makes it extremely awake. There's no set technique apart from be wakeful. Enter the territory with your tools, with your mindfulness, deep attention, kindness, clarity. Enter there. Learn to meet what arises. Hmm? Learn to meet what arises. Hmm? Strange creatures arise. Learn to meet them rather than conquer them, understand them, tell them what to do. Learn to meet and what's hmm? what's needed here. What's needed here. This is where the teachings came from. People of the wilderness. 
This is where they this is where they learn their their, their meditation out in the wilderness. Then you know you in the wilderness you don't tell an elephant what to do. You don't shout to a python, get out of my way. <laughs> you know, you don't tell a swarm of ants they shouldn't be here. <laughs> you learn to behave properly. Mm-hmm. And carefully say, I mean you no harm. I mean you no harm. And this is still practices. What wilderness is left? And it still practices to this day. You know, instructions. You go to, you meet a bear in a jungle, you offer respect, mate. Bear, I respect you, this is your territory, elder brother. I mean you no harm. You know, and you have that attitude at best. Keep precepts, I mean, you know, oh, can't smell any bear. I don't eat, I don't eat bears. And it's okay, bear. You know. If I've created such bad karma in the past that you need to kill me, you can do it. But if you do, you have to promise you're going to take my jitta to Nibbana. <laughs> and the bear goes, can't do that. Leave you alone. That's the law. And when you meet a few bears, internally, externally, that's what you should say. I mean, you know, oh. Don't fight, don't struggle. You see, very often in our conditioning, you know, attention itself. So these sankharas, I'll talk about them again. Sankharas is one of the ways in which sankara operates is attention. It means a certain loop is created within which one attends. You know, so visually, as you can recognize, you know, visually you, could, you probably can perceive maybe dimly 180 degrees. What you see is probably 35 degrees, right? Most it's just fuzz, and you focus on a few details. You really look at something; it's two percent of the visual field. So your attention—that's attention. Very wide, very sharp, and uh, that's a sankara. It's a conditioning force because what you attend to goes right in, doesn't it? What you look at looks at you. What you attend to, that topic, that phenomena, goes right in. Affects you hard. And this is the mode of attention, particularly of of the developed, literate, social world. Because we look at letters, and the attention runs across, runs across, runs across. It's linear. It's, it's, it's narrow and it's linear and it moves. Right? Narrow, narrow, linear and it moves. Now you can also have attention that's wide, non-linear, doesn't move. <laughs> <laughs> it 
It's not trying to read anything. But it's attentive in that, what's that? I know there's something over there. What's that? I can feel something behind me. That's the attention that gets you through the wilderness. You go into a wilderness with your attention on 5% of the phenomena, 95% of the phenomena are going to wipe you out. <laughs> and they're behind you, around you. So this 5% thing is a very specialised form of attention that it becomes uh, very normalised in our social world. But it's, so you think, okay, meditate, use that kind of attention. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend it. It's, it's fine if you want to just see objects, but if you want to sense how you're being affected and how relationships, what causes what to arise, how things connect, you want to widen. Because mm. then you notice not the object, but the subject. You notice this is what the mind is doing, not what the object is. My mind is now getting a bit heated up. My mind is now getting rather edgy and anxious. Mm. So, you know, and this is extremely significant, isn't it? So, wider attention less fine detail, more receptive sensitivity. And then how is this? Then you can calm that, steady that. You know, I am poised, I'm alert. I don't have to find an object. This itself is a foundation. And it can be internal and external. Generally in daily life, Externally, it's not going to be very common. You can operate like that unless you're out in nature where you can just... If you stand like that in Finchley High Street, you're probably going to meet a sticky end. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, but then internally, you can try to cultivate that. And, of course, find some place, Hampstead Heath or somewhere where you can just open not because you're particularly trying to see something, because it, it brings the state of mind comes to the surface. And unfortunately what happens with that fine-tuned attention is you, the 95% of the stuff you miss has a lot of significant phenomena in it. My goal orientation, my need to make things happen, my wanting to achieve something, all that's the missing piece that you don't notice because you're so focused on the particular object, you don't notice why you're doing it, you don't notice your mindset and you can use it to even ignore certain things you should be aware of you know your past behaviour or disorders of some kind so it can be the case that people who fine tuning some you know, they go psychologically strange, you know, Mm. internally, externally. Why most hermits are grumpy, grumpy sociopaths. (laughs) 
the norm, norm, norming. Uh, peripheral awareness and you feel the tones, tonalities of your heart. Mm. And intention, another powerful way in which Sankara operates, which I've mentioned before, is our, our agency. And again, very much uh, what kind of agencies, what kind of actions, what kind of impulses are most developed? You know, probably faster, better. Faster is better. More effective, faster is better. Meditation generally, faster is reckless. Slower is better. Mm. You know, moderating your volition. Pausing. Turning the other way, just receiving, opening, relaxing, abandoning. These are the modalities that are encouraged in meditation. Yeah. Opening, receiving, non-resisting, abandoning, letting go. That's a different kind of volition, isn't it? Than that, it's <laughs> this is to be encouraged. No, because this kind of stuff is so socially conditioned, and and our identity gets built around this particular narrow focus, strong impulse, strong intention to do. Mm. And you want to find alternative modes to operate in that will definitely be source of insight and you can do it standing, sitting, walking, breathing like you don't need a, a, a microscopic scrutiny to breathe You don't need a microscopic, you don't need to sit under a microscope to breathe. You don't even need to see it, you can feel it. You see, so normally our attention mode is very much geared to visual consciousness. Right? So the way visual consciousness works is narrow down, see the flask. That's how it works. But you're not trying to see the breath. There's no instruction to see the breath. It says, no, be aware of it. So, try the body. You know, how does the body sense air? Skin opens, structures open, you can definitely feel it. You don't need to tighten up to feel the wind blow, you can open to it. Similarly, internally, open to it. You don't have to tighten up to witness it. You open up and you realize that breathing is affecting a huge amount of your body. The physicality, the movement of the muscles and the ribcage, 
the flow, the flush of energy moving into your skin, in your face, as you breathe in and out, even down your legs, into the palms of your hands. It's suffusing everything. And for that, so your attention is wide. And you can miss all that by trying to focus too too narrow. And when we look in what you know the Buddha is saying, he's saying, well thoroughly sensitive to the entire body. Breathing in, breathing out. Thoroughly sensitive to the entire body. And that's pretty much verbatim. Thoroughly sensitive to the entire body, breathing in, breathing out. Calming, soothing, steadying, kaya sankara, the bodily energy, the bodily impulses, the nervous energies, steadying, soothing them. Steadying, soothing them then. Experiencing joy. Because, it says, it's a natural fact that when the body energy is soothed and steadies, joy happens. The bright, suffusive quality goes into the heart. You have to make it happen. It happens. But that's not a point, is it? It's not a little object you can focus on. It's a, you know, overall awareness that suddenly becomes illuminated with happiness. So we need to open to receive all that. The thoroughness, the fullness of embodiment. So you cultivate internally, widening and receiving the field. This is the way, you know, in this way humans can live together. If we you know, wide and receive each other as we are, wildness, wild creatures that we are, not expecting an elephant to be an anteater. <laughs> She's this, he's that, okay. But we mean no harm. We abide peacefully, we respect, and then things start to form. You, co- you co-emerge, and this is the way that communities can arise, which is... Uh, how we survive and how we develop this way externally, joyful, harmonious. Mm-hmm. And Buddha presented that too, or in Sangha.